0: Uh, A few years ago, uh, on the Christian website, Ship of Fools, there was a a competition to find the top ten religious jokes. One of them was uh, a joke by the American comedian Emo Phillips. And his joke goes like this. I was walking across a bridge one day and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump. I ran over. I said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I, he asked. Well, there's so much to live for, I said. Like what, he said. Are you religious, I asked. Yes, I am, he said. Great, I said, me too. Are you a Christian or a Buddhist? Christian, he said. Me too, I replied. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant, he said. Me as well, I said. Are you Episcopalian or are you a Baptist, I asked. Baptist, he said. Wow, me too, I said. Are you original Baptist Church of God, or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, I asked. Reformed Baptist Church of God, he said. Oh my, that's amazing, I said. So am I. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, 1879, or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, 1915, I asked. Reformed Baptist Church of God, 1915, he said. Die, heretic scum, I said, (laughs) as I pushed him off the bridge. We are continuing our journey through the book of Galatians and have arrived at that part of the letter which gives the title to our sermon series, One in Christ. It's a message One in Christ that speaks not only to the wider life of the church in all its various forms, but also to us individually in setting out the primacy of Jesus Christ as we determine who we are. For those of you who uh, may have missed some of the previous uh, sermons that we've done as we've worked through this, Uh, Can I take this opportunity to uh, encourage you to download and listen to our podcast, where you'll find sermons from uh, Brandon and Maeve and Zoe and Philip and others. Uh, And last week from Maeve Sherlock, as we've been working our way through this book. Those of you who have been here will know that the epistle to the Galatians, the letter to the Galatian church is where Paul is writing to the Christians in Galatia, where Jewish missionaries have been arguing that the predominantly Gentile, that is non-Jewish church, needs to be circumcised and adopt the Jewish law and customs to be saved. And this letter, Galatians, is Paul's response to those missionaries. Uh, And an urging to those churches to reject the missionary argument and to remain true to the gospel that Paul preached. And we've got to chapter 3, right to the end of chapter 3 tonight. And in chapter 3, Paul sets out in his response to these missionaries a threefold movement of God's relationship with his people. First, God's promise to Abraham to establish a covenant. Secondly, the giving of the law as a mediator, a medium of that relationship. And finally, where we come to tonight, the fulfillment of that promise, which is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week, Maeve considered uh, the first and second part of that uh, threefold movement. And tonight we see Paul come to the climax of this argument uh, in chapter 3, which is to be found in his proclamation of a new identity through baptism in Jesus Christ. So let's pick up uh, our reading uh, at the start tonight at verse 26, uh, page 1170, uh, for those of you uh, using the church Bibles. I'm going to be using the inclusive language, Uh, version, uh, certainly for chapter 3. So we read in verses 26 to 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, just in those short two verses, verses 26, well, 3, 26 to 28, we read four times of the new identity to be found in Christ. Follow with me. We are to be in Christ Jesus, baptised into Christ, to be clothed in Christ, and to be one in Christ. And for Paul... The marker of being found in Christ does not come with uh, an obedience to the law or cleanliness, rituals or circumcision. But in Paul's argument here, just in these two or three verses right at the off, for Paul, that journey into Christ begins with baptism, with being baptised Into Christ. In baptism, he writes, uh, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. It's in baptism that we put on Christ and enter into a union with him in such a way so that all other markers of status or identity fall away into insignificance. Now, uh, those of you who have uh, perhaps attended baptisms of uh, friends, family, uh, particularly here or in other Church of England churches, uh, will have got used to seeing babies baptised in a font. And uh, we keep our font over there uh, in the corner, but when we have our baptisms, it's here and it's baby in arm and little water on the head. But in the early church, particularly that rite of baptism was much more symbolic, uh, much more than uh, the symbolism we're used to here. In baptism, the person being baptised first confessed the lordship of Jesus Christ over all creation. They then disrobed. Disrobed as a symbol of putting off an old way of life, laying down an old way of life. And then they were immersed in a river, In a way where all of them, all of themselves, went under the river. They died to an old life, symbolically, under the water, and were then raised up to a new life. And then they put on the new clothes of baptism, symbolizing the transformation that had just occurred as they died to a life and an identity that was before as they were lowered under the waters and then raised again to new life in baptism. Baptism, particularly for the early church and still in other churches now, even whisper it quietly in the Church of England, when we do, uh, when we do adult baptisms, is a symbolic participation in Christ's death and resurrection and no one could undergo it no one could do it without realizing the symbolism of what was going on that their old life their old identity had ended as they went under the water and a new one had begun uh, in his commentary on this passage the biblical scholar Richard Hayes argues that Paul saves this appeal to the people in Galatia, the church of Galatia, this appeal to baptism for the climatic part in his argument because it so powerfully embodies what he wants to say, his central message to the Galatians, that they find their identity in Christ alone. For a person who had been newly clothed in Christ, no further religious observances were necessary, not circumcision, not the observance of the Torah, not ritual cleansing laws or who to eat with. None of those were necessary to be in right standing with God. Uh, we have a, a human impulse, I think, that sometimes tire- tirelessly seeks new signs and ceremonies that we use to set ourselves apart from others in order to court God's favour. But Paul insists all of that is to be put to an end in Christ. And Paul's message to these uh, Jewish missionaries, to these rival missionaries who were coming uh, with an alternate message, he viewed their message as some form of cultural imperialism. That is, as he saw it, They were trying to impose specifically Jewish identity markers on Gentiles, on Greeks, who had already received a new identity in Christ. And Paul's passionate rejection of this kind of identity politics gives us pause to reflect on our own identity and our own baptism and union with Christ. Um, We live in a time where there are many movements, both within and without the Church, which seek to define an identity based on factors other than Christ, that seek to define an identity perhaps defined on race, on gender, on sexuality. For some, such movements uh, are viewed as contemporary versions of the Jewish missionaries whom Paul is arguing against within the early church. Against all such determinations of identity, Paul reminds us that our primary identity is found in Christ. Back in uh, 2002, uh, John Sentamu, who was then Bishop of Stepney, uh, was announced as the new Bishop of Birmingham. Uh, And it says something perhaps both about the times we lived in then and the times we live in now, that this was uh, national news. It led the broadcast news. uh, It led on the front pages of the newspapers. The reason being that he would be, in 2002, the first African-Caribbean man or woman, back then it was only men, it could be bishops, to be a lead bishop or a diocesan bishop in the Church of England. At the press conference uh, that followed, uh, the press conference in Birmingham in St John's Hill School, at that press conference, uh, following the announcement of his appointment, the first question John Sentamu was asked uh, by a journalist who was from The Times that day was how it felt to be the first black diocesan bishop in the Church of England. John Sentamu replied by saying, when it comes to my identity... First, I am a Christian. Secondly, I am a man. And third, I am black. But first and foremost, my identity is to be found not in my colour, not in my gender, but in my saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to suggest that the issues of identity politics, not least the issues of justice that are often associated with them do not matter. As someone who has consistently found themselves to be an outsider in the world of the Church of England, uh, it's uh, a matter of distress for me uh, that in almost 30 years of sitting through services just like this, I have never sat where you have sat and seen a service led by an Asian man. I have never sat where you have sat and listened to a sermon preached by an Asian man. In 30 years, I've been in the Church of England. Now, that is a source of pain for me, which I am reminded of, it must be said, especially at larger Church of England gatherings. And if, the, as the mantra goes, you need to see it to be it, that whole experience doesn't exactly bode well for the Church of England. But my racial identity is not who I identify myself as. And can I say what a good thing it is that Zoe and I are leading this service? (laughs) My identity is to be found in Jesus Christ. I am who I am because of who Jesus is. I am who I am because of who Jesus is. Paul is clear that this new identity in Christ breaks through every other expectation, every other status which the world might levy upon us. In that central verse to which we owe the title of our sermon series, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one, writes Paul, in Christ Jesus. In uh, his reflections on on that verse, John Barclay, uh, the Lightfoot Professor of Divinity here at Durham University, who we seem to refer to every week in this sermon series, and with good reason, he notes that each of these three pairings, Jew, Gentile, uh, slave, free, male, female, that each of these uh, are strongly endowed with hierarchical assumptions. For Jews, being Jewish wasn't just different from being Gentile or Greek, but it was superior. To be a Jew was superior because the Jews were God's chosen people. Clearly, those who were slaves were in a less favorable place hierarchically than those who were free. And in the heavily patriarchal society at the time this was written, In the first century, the place of men, not least those who carried the sign of circumcision, was considered superior to that of women. And being baptized doesn't eradicate those differences in one way. Neither ethnic nor gender identity changes when you come up out of the water. If you go down a man, you're coming back up a man. However, what is altered, according to John Barclay, is what he refers to as the evaluative evaluative freight, Uh, the stuff that's carried by such distinctions uh, of inferiority and superiority. So, instead of slave-free, male-female, Jew-gentile, Instead, there is a body of people who, in common solidarity with Christ, are baptized believers who are both enabled and required to view each other without those worldly classifications of worth. What now counts for worth is only one's status and identity in Christ and the consistency of one's allegiance to him. All forms of status not derived from belonging in Christ now lose their ultimacy. The unconditional gift of Christ undercuts all reckonings of worth. Um, I was baptized in um, 1988, uh, aged 17, at a Baptist church in South Birmingham in a big baptismal tank, uh, I publicly publicly confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and was taken down under the water, two people, under the water, symbolising that death to an old life and brought up out of the water, raised to a new life. Now, it could be argued uh, that my identity didn't really change in that moment. The person who went under the water was a chubby Asian Brummy, six former, and the person who came up was still Asian, still a Brummy, still a six former, and sadly still a little bit overweight. But I was no longer defined by any of those things or the other myriad of identities that I held at the time as a 17-year-old, whether that be Villa Fan, Space Invaders King, Fruit Machine Conqueror, Cousin, Brother or Son. My identity from that moment lay not in anything that I happened to be. But in who Jesus Christ is. My definition, my purpose, my identity, my belonging were all settled in that moment. Because from that moment on, I chose to follow Jesus and accept the invitation to live in the grace of God and to be free from the bonds of expectation from anything else in this world. Later on, uh, after the song that we sing in response to this, uh, we can have an opportunity to renew corporately together our baptismal vows as a reminder of our identity that is found in Christ. And uh, for any of you who are here tonight who have not yet been uh, baptised or perhaps never considered baptism, uh, let me urge you tonight to take the opportunity to speak to uh, me, Philip, Zoe, one of the assistant uh, student workers, about how you might uh, be baptised here in the coming weeks or months. We'll hire a big enough pool. It won't be with a font. And we'll take you under and raise you up to new life in Christ. And for those of you who perhaps have been baptised, maybe as children, maybe in one of those fonts, take the opportunity to discuss how you might stand and publicly confess and reaffirm that identity in Christ through confirmation and through taking that next public step in your faith. I want to finish uh, this evening by going back to that joke, that Emo Phillips joke, it's too good just to use one, Um, uh, that I told at the start of the service. Paul's argument with the Jewish missionaries uh, in this letter is one that has reappeared in different forms down the centuries. The church and the individuals who make up the church are constantly tempted to slip into new legalisms, systems of law or morality that confine and thus begin to define who we are. One of the utter joys of Durham is the flourishing uh, ecumenism in our city, and it's a recognition in one another that whatever our doctrinal differences may be, and there are some, that we are one in Christ through a common baptism and it's only when churches begin as sadly some do to place doctrinal issues over and above that common identity that we begin to see new legalisms emerge just as with those who will place identity politics over and above their identity in Christ So those who raise doctrinal issues over and above our common baptism risk falling into the role of those Jewish missionaries who would steal away the freedom to be found in Christ and replace it with rules which seek to confine rather than to define who we are in Christ. Christ's victory breaks the old and putatively new systems of confinement and expectation that would replace our freedom in Christ with new tests of who is in or who is out, who is sound or who is unsound, who is doctrinally di- pure to be approved, or who is a heretic to be shunned and pushed off a bridge. Our identity in Christ. And the freedom that it provides means in those wonderful words from Romans 8 that I paraphrase to you that there is nothing in heaven and earth, no circumstance or judgment, nothing that we have done or that has been done to us, no test, no censure, no rebuke, that can separate us from the love of God to be found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham Podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's visit our website at stnicks.org.uk